Live from Wango Tango, this is Austin Danger Podcast, the only randomly curated Austin Powers podcast on the internet. As always, I am joined by super co-host extraordinaire, the man with the numbers, the stats, the wheels, and the gold, Kev. And I'm joined, as always, by super producer extraordinaire, Mackenzie Wilkes. And this is a little freaky. We're doing different things than we normally do. I've never started this show. I, am I even in my own body? What's happening here? Because we're discussing 2003's Freaky Friday. That's right. Hard to do, isn't it? Weird. <laughs> that's at the bottom of the hour. Look, that's see. Look, I'm learning. I've listened to you so many there times. There you go. Oh my gosh. Um, but, but I think before we dive in at the top of the hour here, right now, you're just now joining us on this hour. We have a couple of announcements, don't we, Kev? Yes, that's right. There's quite a docket to get to. This is leave it to Freaky Friday to be a jam-packed <laughs> show. We were DMing earlier as we do. And I was like, this is going to be a regular episode. And already I'm like, I I, I don't know. I'm not so sure. Well, it's a little freaky this episode. Speaking of freaky, Mackenzie, maybe it's freaky to you, but already it is Austin Danger Podcast episode number 98. That's literally wild to me. Yeah, just bananas. And that means that at the end of this week's episode, I am going to spin the wheel. And then episode 100 is a movie of my choice, which, of course, we all remember. We decided way back on episode 24 where we flipped a coin and Mackenzie, I think I won the, no, you won the coin toss because I get 50 and 100. Yes. And then I did 25 and 75. That's right. Which I think I gave you. I gave you 50 anyway, because I think 50 was Scooby-Doo. But the point yeah, is, yeah, 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 yeah. I took matters into my own hands on this one. There's a legendary movie that is tangentially related to one of our most advanced journeys on this show. Mm-hmm. A movie that is an all-time classic, a movie I've never seen. So what better time than Austin Danger Podcast episode 100 to talk about Rob Reiner's This is Spinal Tap? I did not know you hadn't seen it. Did I know that? (laughs) I don't remember knowing that. Oh, you know it every time. For the last (gasps) three years, we have had conversation after conversation about how could I not have seen it? And the answer is, I think I have seen it. I just forgot most of it. Criterion Collection Spine Number 12, baby. That's right. Not to be outdone by the infringement upon the Criterion Connection. <laughs> we already did Armageddon, you know, we're, we're already in this. We are beginning Austin Danger Podcast Year 3, colon, 2024, colon, the countdown to Mufasa, colon, <laughs> the Lion King, oh in God. style with a huge guest. Yes. For episode 100 of our show, as a celebration of our third year podcasting, the feds haven't stopped us yet. Yet. (laughs) We wanted to bring in the man without whom there is no Austin Danger podcast. He is the man behind the 70 millimeter podcast, the paper keg podcast syndicate. Our old pal Slim will be joining us once and for all. Imagine That's a, a crowd, a crowd of people cheering as they hear that. Yeah, I mean, you know, I as one of the the leaders of the VHS Village and that community, he's he's such a inspiration, I think, as a podcaster, but also such a kind, down to earth person that I I feel so honored to call a friend. And uh, yeah, we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the, the community he's created and welcomed us into. And uh, I'm just so eternally grateful for Slim, and I'm really glad he'll be on the show. I mean, you pretty much said it all. I am saving all my niceties for when I can embarrass him with it in person in just two <laughs> weeks on this show. So how exciting. Did you hear, by the way, um, their episode 200 airs today <gasps> and it is Nyad with <laughs> Jody Foster. Can you believe they picked Nyad? And they just did November. They did new movies in November. They did Flower Moon, Napoleon, 
Um, they looped Raging Bull in there. They did Priscilla. Lovely episodes all. If you haven't heard 70 millimeter, now is a great time to go back and listen to those. Or they've done a whole bunch of different movies and many that we've done also. So go back and check those out and then come back in two weeks for episode 100. It's going to be amazing. <sighs> we have had that on the docket for months. So it's nice. Yeah, it's nice to have it out. Have it out there in the world now. So, yes, Slim will be joining us. We're talking about This is Spinal Tap, a, what will be a legendary episode of uh, Austin Danger Podcast. It's going to be awesome. How exciting. Oh, what have I got next to say? Mackenzie, who is Argyle? <laughs> have you been okay. following this? So I am, I, am, I am getting the impression that everyone is very annoyed by these trailers. But here's the thing about old Kenzo every time I go to the movie theaters recently and I see that trailer I every single time unironically turn to Rachel and go it looks like a lot of fun <laughs> and I don't even think I realize I'm doing it <laughs> like I don't that's even the think thing. <laughs> I'm it bringing looks Argyle like into I'm bringing Argyle into our radar because yes you know what it reminds me of it reminds me of the lost city with Sandra Bullock which was not a great all-time it was fun, classic though. movie but was a lot of fun in like March. It was, and super fun. I think it's time marry me? to, yes. Oh God. Remember marry me. Marry oh, me is man. five banged on my letterbox right now. What an experience. I would never, but anyway, the point is it seems like that, like totally kind of fun enough programmer that you put in February. But have you heard all the hubbub about like, apparently it's based off a book that has yet been published. Excuse me. And the author there's a lot of mystery around the writer of the book because they don't know her they don't know who it is it's this first time author that nobody knows and they're making this big apple blockbuster based on this book um the plot of the of the movie is basically the lost city where there's an author and yes. she gets wrapped up in an adventure in this one it's that her stories are seemingly coming to life there's a rumor that the author of this book, and this gives me chills. I'm so excited by the prospect of this. <laughs> There's a rumor that the author of the book, it's a pseudonym for Taylor Swift, the <gasps> singer. <coughs> what? And what's more is, and I didn't realize this until tonight in the VHS Village, we were talking about it. If you look at Bryce Dallas Howard, if you were to like cast Taylor Swift in a movie about a regular person, the regular person would probably look something like Bryce Dallas Howard, right? I feel like they're on the same wavelength. And the whole trailer is the mystery of who is Argyle. I what did not Argyle know Taylor Swift? that there was like a an IRL tie-in almost with the mystery of this. I am totally not in the I, know. I think that it's all bullshit and it's just like a mid Lost City rip. Personally, <laughs> I, I think that this is just some woman. <laughs> that would be I don't very think it's Taylor Swift. And I don't think if Taylor Swift was going to write fiction, I don't think it would be as boring as, oh my God, my spy stories are coming to life. That's I still so... I'm looking at like articles that I'm finding quote unquote clues about Taylor Swift. And that's, this is a wild thing. Is this Austin news? What are we talking about this for? <laughs> We're talking about this because it's the big mystery of the day. <laughs> we have to include it and into ADP lore now. I'm I'm looping it into ADP lore because I want it to be a major part of our year is who is Argyle <laughs> and how that mystery coalesces. <laughs> like everything I'm bringing on to Austin Danger podcast, there's a one in two chance that it, it'll just totally shit out and die, right? I'm expecting the ending to leak Right now it's January 3rd. So we're, we have, uh, <laughs> we have a we month, have about a month, right. For the ending to leak. And I think it'll leak and I think it'll not be Taylor Swift and it'll be so boring. I'm going to ignore be it. Some I wanna... celebrity. Yeah. Oh yeah. Are you going, I'm going to go the Thursday. I'll go. I'll fucking go. This is Argyle danger podcast now. Okay. <laughs> we're doing Argyle news. Okay. I'm, I'm ready. This I'm is ready. Argyle news. This is Argyle news. Um, the answer to the question, why are we talking about it is because I thought it would be funny and uh, okay. <laughs> I'm good. With I that. succeeded. I'm I so succeeded. good with that. I'm so good with that. 
Kev, did you watch anything this week other than the Argyle trailer? Oh, God. <laughs> the Argyle trailer I watch every day. I watch it when You're I wake up. Clues. I watch it before I go to bed. I'm looking for clues. Putting it on a loop on my television to sleep too. <laughs> the notion of the notion of like picking to watch the Argyle trailer. I watch it so much already. I have fun. Wa- Again, I agree with you. It's not like the King's Man. But the problem with the King's Man, if people remember when that trailer ran forever in 2021, was that the movie was delayed for six months. So they ran it for like the appropriate length you should run a trailer, like two, three months leading up to the release. And then they had to run it two, three months again. So you got like six months of the King's Man. Yeah. Um, Luckily, Argyle will not be the same. Um, (laughs) All of this to say I'm stalling desperately because as we talk about this, Letterboxd is down Mm. and uh, it's back up now. Oh, there you go. Well, I've begun my 2023 kind of filling in the gaps slash revisiting everything journeys. Mm-hmm. On Friday last week at the Museum of the Moving Image, I went with friend of the show Scott to see Open Himmel on 70 millimeter. For those of you who don't remember, Open Himmel is the uh, Christopher Nolan three hour epic about the life and times of J. Robert Oppenheimer. Why the movie is called that, I don't know. That's his choice, not mine. But um, even better on the second watch, I have to say, that's where all the literature mm. popped out to me. Once you kind of pull away from your own expectations, the movie takes on the form, you know, its own form. And it's this big, beautiful thing. I think a lot of people fell into some pretty big and obvious traps around the release of Oppenheimer because they went in expecting a movie about the atom bomb or their own perceptions. I talked about this a lot on the Barbenheimer episode of our show, this mm-hmm. show. But um, only have compounded. But let me tell you, all the great performances really stuck out this time. Infamously, I didn't clock a single man's full name in Oppenheimer. <laughs> yes. There were just characters. For example, I did not realize that David Krumholtz is the actor who plays Bernard from mm-hmm. Santa Claus. And I loved him in Oppenheimer without even knowing who he was. And I loved him even more in this watch or the amazing, uh, 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 what's his name? Oh my God. Josh Hartnett. Who's tremendous. Mm -hmm. There's a scene where he doesn't even say a word in the scene. He, (laughs) he does that thing we've all done in our lives where (laughs) he'll, he's coming down a hallway. He sees something he doesn't like at the end of the hallway and then awkwardly has to pretend like he organically was never going to come down there. Um, Blinken, you'll miss it in the third act, but incredible. I was blown away by Oppenheimer again. I just, and pun intended, ha 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 ha. Oh. Um, I, that's an amazing movie and has upset my entire year end list again. And that's my problem is like every time now I watch a 2023 movie, it upsets my whole list. I watched Bottoms, loved Bottoms, totally has upset my list. Like, I rewatched Asteroid City on New Year's Eve, upset the list again. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do. There are too many great movies. A lot of great movies this year. Mackenzie, did you watch anything? Um, I um, you know, easing into the new year with some 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 favorite watches as I always do. Um, but I did on Christmas Eve, uh, Christmas Eve, New Year's Eve, check out the holdovers. Speaking of kind of catching up for 2023, um, a lot of my January is gonna be trying to find these movies I've been missing. I'm hoping to see something this weekend because as of recording, my local. The, uh, where I can go, I can either see all the strangers, the Iron Claw, poor things, or American fiction this weekend. So I'm like trying Ooh. to decide between one of the four of those. But like I'm going to start trying to get out there and seeing these movies. Um, very excited. I know a lot of them are going to start coming cropping up a little bit more around awards season, obviously, um, which I am plugged into. And the holdovers uh, went on Peacock, and I guess I have access to my mom's Peacock account, so I hopped on there and uh, watched the holdovers. Um, you know, I've been. I've been struggling a lot this year with people overhyping films for me. Like poor things is already becoming quite soured to me because of the overhype of it. And I'm trying to sort of get rid of that before I go see the film so I can give it a really fair shake. Um, and the holdovers was like teetering on that. Like it's been incredibly overhyped and I'm, I don't really want to come here to overhype it more. Cause I think for some, some and many people I see it's like, 
their immediate favorite of the year all time boom it's one of my all-time favorite films uh and i liked it so much i don't think it's quite there for me um but i am not immune to the charms of this movie um it is it is one of those movies that if you come trying to resist its sincerity um you you just gotta let yourself go to it and it will break down your walls more than you think it reminds me of it's a wonderful life in that way how i came being like oh this is i gotta keep this kind of at arm's length and the movie kind of pulls you in closer and goes no 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 get in here we're doing it we're doing it we're having a hug um it's so charming the performances are incredible it has that cozy vibe that even though alexander payne has uh, big eye roll my life um has been like oh that makes me want to barf that people call it cozy and i'm like well what movie do you think you made <laughs> sir you made a cozy film just because it's sad and filled with melancholy and depression and serious themes that it takes very seriously doesn't mean it's not cozy because i think the coziness comes from maybe you me who's feeling that around the holidays this sense of sadness and melancholy feels a little less alone by seeing other characters deal with it too. And that is where the coziness comes from because you you know you're not alone in this world because none of us are. And that's kind of what the film is about. This, these people finding kind of community and love in one another. And it, it's a perfect example of the characters are the story. It doesn't have to have this big crazy plot line going on because it just gives you interesting characters and lets them interact. And that's, I think, sometimes some of the best filmmaking. So um, really impressed by the holdovers. I am rooting for Divine Joy Randolph. She is sweeping uh, critics yeah. right now. I do not see a world in which that Oscar is not hers. She seems to be the the, the favorite and well-deserved and incredible performance. Um, but I'm kind of rooting also for Giamatti to be the dark horse in the best actor race. Um, hmm. I don't know. It's he's people he's been picking up some critics groups, and so people are saying it's you know it feels like it's it's what Killian versus. Um, forget who the other kind of front runner is for actor but anyway i'm rooting for giamatti um it's great the holdovers is great i recommend checking it out if you're looking for a cozy 2023 oh i should say i definitely can see it and intend to see it in my yearly rotation i think it's a great movie that feels like you can immediately get excited about watching it next christmas so we might have a new christmas classic on our hands folks yeah, I agree that it'll age nicely. I also love it. It did speak to me because I really was, when I saw this film, I really was feeling that or mm-hmm. starting to feel that. I wonder now that we're at the end of the holidays, how I would react to that. But mm. I agree with you that it'll probably be a yearly tradition for me as well. Um, and it will get better with time, I'm sure. Yes, I agree. And I and I the love King the shtick. Returned, baby. I love the shtick of the of the the way the film looks and the pops and the, how it kind of looks like it's on film. Like I I love those little tricks too. So I think a lot of us who miss kind of easy breezy late seventies early eighties comedies like or even dramedies like this, I think it it scratches that itch. Well, speaking of breezy seventies and eighties comedies. What does it all mean, Basil? This is Austin News. This is our weekly segment where we break down the news and notes going on in the world of Austin Powers. <laughs> Usually, that's a very funny thing for me to say, because you, a rational person, would say, that's crazy. What kind of news goes on? And a lot of this segment over the last 97 episodes has been us weeding out clickbait that just rec- recites the same thing over and over again. Mm-hmm. I recently banned a source and we have to unban them just for this week for one of the craziest things I have ever heard. From ScreenRant.com. Yeah, baby. The 20 most hilarious Austin Powers movie quotes. I brought that up last week. Yeah. You did? Yeah, because I was saying how they weren't really good quotes. I feel like we should take a closer look at this list. <laughs> I mean, they're the thing is they're not good. It's that's what's confusing about it to me. But yes, proceed. Yeah, see, number twenty is Shagadelic Baby. It's one of his many catchphrases, after all, which was put in bold. Which <laughs> Like, okay, number seventeen is you're not missing anything, believe me. That's not a like famous Austin Powers quote. <laughs> Excuse me? I can't believe I can't believe that that the felicity you're not missing anything speech A is like so low. But yeah. B 
it beat oh behave which is a cornerstone thing it austin says number 15 is i love gold out of a 20 list and here's the thing here's the thing they have a nigel powers quote and it's not even the funniest quote nigel powers says where he says there's only two things i hate in this world people who are intolerant of other people's cultures and the dutch which is like the funniest line of that entire movie and the funniest nigel powers quote but instead the quote they've chosen for nigel is you don't even have have a name tag you've got no chance just a random mumbled line when he's beating up the henchmen in Dr. Evil's lair. Like not even a good quote. Like these are actively stupid. It is, it is a funny line, but yeah, see, here we go. Number 13, what we swingers were going against were uptight square. It's like, what are we That's doing? That's a monologue. A That's part of a monologue. A lot of these are part of monologues though. Like, like the Nigel Powers quote is also part of a monologue. Yeah. I feel like if we look at this for any longer, we're going to go insane. I don't remember him saying, I shag and brag, baby. I don't remember him saying that. And that's number four. I can't believe that Satan's balls is number two. Okay. Number three is Dr. I need like, the I'm info. the boss. I need the info. What even is the, when I does he say info. that? Delivered alongside one of Dr. Evil's most used words, frickin', he parodied not only typical villains with this line, but also bad bosses, declaring they need to know every detail about what's going on. Uh, He said this line when he felt his team wasn't sharing every little detail with him, as he believed they should. Bold. He is the boss, after all, and needs to have all of the, quote, info regardless of what that quote info is what the it wasn't fuck? so much that the line was so funny it wasn't so it wasn't much a funny the line, line at was all so funny but the way he delivered it pursing his lips and shifting to the side to showcase his anger and disgust at the fact that he wasn't kept in the loop could not tell you on my life gun to my head where that line is in the film truly couldn't how the hell did that person write those words I also don't remember the Satan's balls line. I feel like these this is they watched a version of the film I have not seen. I feel like they went on YouTube and searched funny Austin Powers clips and then put 25 of them in a random order because that's what you got to do these days to survive. And this week it was Austin Powers again. Christine Persaud, what are you doing? Christine Persaud, are you okay? Blink twice if you need help. <laughs> Deep in the content minds. Mackenzie, that is all the Austin news I have for this week, which means it is time for us to return mm-hmm. to the year 2003. Wow. Who was president? A lying war criminal. But what else is new? And the Walt Disney Company. <laughs> <laughs> Good Lord, Kev. <laughs> and the Walt Disney Company released a movie so, like, they released Freaky Friday, which is the movie we're talking about this week. Mackenzie, just bring us in. Talk to us about Freaky Friday. Tell us what it's about, and we'll get right into it. George W. Bush lied to Congress. <laughs> Please proceed. punk rocker Anna Coleman is at odds with her therapist mother, Dr. Tess Coleman. Stop laughing at me. A few years after the death of Anna's father. She thinks the White Stripes needs a bass player. She doesn't know who Stevie Nicks is. Whatever. After a few years after the... A few years after the death of Anna's father, her mother is looking to remarry with a kind man named Ryan. Anna, meanwhile, is in her rebellious high schooler phase, so she and Tess are constantly butting heads. When Tess forbids Anna from competing in an upcoming battle of the bands that conflicts with Tess and Ryan's rehearsal dinner, 
they come to blows at their favorite Chinese restaurant. Kindly woman who owns the restaurant seemingly casts some sort of spell on them as they wake up in opposite bodies, Tess and Anna's and Anna and Tess's. Hijinks ensue as the two attempt to play the part of the other to middling success on both sides. While they don't exactly fit into the world of the, of the other, they do begin to grow in appreciation and understanding for what the other is going through. In the end, Anna's friends show up at the rehearsal dinner to beg her to play. Ryan, being an awesome future stepdad, tells Tess he wants Anna to go because her kids will always come first. Unbeknownst to him, he's actually saying this to Anna, who now sees what a caring man he is and how happy he makes her mom. The duo go to the Battle of the Bands, where, with a little bit of offstage guitar playing, Anna's band Pink Slip rocks the house at Wango Tango. They return to the rehearsal dinner where Tess, in Anna's body, tells Anna, in Tess's body, that she wants to postpone the wedding, realizing that she needs to take things a bit slower for the sake of her still-breathing children. But Anna has other plans. As Tess, she gives a speech that shows her mother that she approves of Ryan, understands her more, and loves her all the same. At that moment, the two switch back, finally having seen through each other's eyes. Tess, in her own body, is married to Ryan, and Anna gets her boy, who is a whole subplot I did not mention, but we will talk about him. Uh, and they begin to put all of this behind them, this weird, wild, and freaky Friday. Take me away. What a what a time for music. <laughs> Kev, have you seen this movie before? Yes, sure. The hives, have. the hives bootlegs. I'm sure the hives bootlegs are great. Maybe they wrote a second song that I just have never heard. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I saw this, I saw half of this movie once mm. because it was on TV, and as a family, we were just hanging out. And it, it was, it's the rare time, you know, it's hard to get all four quadrants of the Riley family harder now than ever, I would argue, but then impossible. <laughs> We're just very different people. But for some reason, like the second half of Freaky Friday really brought us all together on this weird, like July afternoon. And uh, that was a really beautiful thing. Brings families together, both on screen and And then off. I watched it. And then I watched the first half today and I'm like, oh my God, there's all this racist shit. In it. <laughs> so yeah. that's my history with Freaky Friday. Yeah. It honestly wasn't as bad as I remembered. I was like, okay, it's less than I remember, but it's still there for sure. Um, yeah. I mean, I watched this movie when I was younger. I think it played on TV a lot. So that's how I probably saw it. But um, I think my biggest connection to this film was Lindsay Lohan because like, at that age, I was when she was like really at the height of her powers. Um, she was absolutely a celebrity I was like aware of and into. And so like when I was when I was that when I was eight, this movie came out, I guess. And around that time, like seven to eleven, she was very cool to me because I mean, in this movie, she was like a cool punk girl, and I kind of wanted to be a cool punk girl. She kind of dressed like Avril Lavigne esque, and I, that's that's kind of what I wanted to do because I felt kind of misunderstood and different so i wanted to kind of dress like her in this movie like i thought she was the coolest uh and it's interesting because now that i'm older i have so much more sympathy for tess uh where when i was a kid i just wanted to be anna like it's it's interesting how my perspectives change now that i'm i'm older um mean girls obviously was huge for just culture period but also like i was a, a preteen girl when that film came out so that of course that became everyone my age's personalities which is why uh, millennial women are the way they are is because of being girls uh, i say as a millennial woman um and then like really my all-time i mean yes i loved herbie fully loaded yes i loved confessions of a teenage drama queen you loved herbie fully loaded now let's this is the one i was gonna ask <laughs> when about. i was a kid yeah i've never seen it oh my god directed by uh, deb's director angela robinson Jesus. Written by uh, Tom Lennon and Robert Ben Grant. Wow. I mean, I don't remember anything about it. I just remember liking it as a kid. And Confessions of a Teenage Drama Queen was also a movie I loved as a kid. But I, I, I do want to say before you continue talking about Lindsay movies, Life Size. That was my big one. I just want to say. Life Size was like my favorite movie for a very long time in my life. Uh, so yeah. So anyway, Lindsay Lohan. And of course, The Parent Trap. Iconic. Like, I, I feel like when she, there's like a good like... 10 Lindsay Lohan movies that I like genuinely love and loved a lot as a kid. So yeah, I think this is kind of just looped into that. Like I have a lot of nostalgia for this film for sure. And I haven't seen it in like, I don't know, 15 years. It was really, really fun to watch today as an adult. I'll say that. 
I was surprised to learn that Mean Girls came out after this movie. Like the next year. This this feels like the Disney-ified version of a Mean Girls kind of thing. Mm. So that was fascinating. Yeah, I think it literally is the the very next year she was in Mean Girls. What? Herbie fully loaded. (laughs) What are we doing, Herbie fully loaded? Put it on the wheel. Put it on the wheel. It's on there. Oh it's my gosh. There. We would have to do the love bug journey. No. <laughs> well, let's just start with the queen, right? Lindsay is great. And I'll talk about her highlight for me, but I mean, Jamie Lee Curtis is the MVP of this movie. I feel like that is not a hot take. I feel like that is just how everyone feels. Uh, this performance is unironically kind of brilliant and really, really great. And like the way she physically embodies Anna is so pitch perfect And she has like a dozen line deliveries that I think are some of the funniest line readings ever. She is so funny, so thoughtful, so full of heart, so goofy and empathetic. Like she's, she is nailing it. I am obsessed with this Jamie Lee Curtis performance. We were reading some reviews from around the time the movie came out. And she was so good in this that critics forgot that she had spent the previous 25 years becoming one of the great, comedic actresses on screen which is pretty funny (laughs) you know you think of true lies right you think of fish called wanda etc etc but yeah she's the best they do um you know this movie's face off right (laughs) so you have the in act one you set up your character mannerisms and then in act two you swap and I do agree that there's something about the way Jamie Lee Curtis is able to play Lindsay Lohan. That's really funny. And it works. I mean, the line reading of, Oh, I'm like the crypt keeper is like seared, (laughs) seared into my brain in a way that is just immeasurable. That's so good. It's amazing. I'm sure when we get to popcorn notes, I'll have more line readings from Jamie Lee Curtis, but like genuinely she got numerous laugh out louds from me (laughs) while I was on my couch today. It was awesome. And Lindsay keeps up with her. I think Lindsay, I actually like Lindsay playing Tess more like in the beginning. She, her character's a little, I don't know, put on, I guess. But then when she's playing Tess, I think she's amazing. It's I think Jamie Lee Curtis is better with both characters a bit more. Whereas I think Lindsay Lohan's better as Tess, but I love, I think she's amazing, especially in that scene in the end where she's crying and she wants to postpone the, like she's bringing the stakes to the story and she, ups jamie lee curtis in that scene it's really i'm I'm just impressed by her uh, and I, I think her as tess is really also a huge highlight of the film i think if both of them didn't nail their respective swaps the movie falls flat on its face but because they're both so good i think it elevates the film um a little higher than an average comedy oh yeah i agree i think they absolutely could have just churned out whatever because Disney at that time was so into just doing that. Mm. Hey, here's that darn cat for some reason. Or like, here's my favorite Martian with Christopher Lloyd. <laughs> it's 1999. You'll see anything. But this is just like one of those great constellation coming together moments where every piece of it is in just the right place at just the right time. Mm-hmm. That it is perfect. It's really, really good. Like, I'm, I'm impressed by it, watching it with, like, not a kid brain. I'm like, wow, this is, like, a really impressive film to me as, like, an adult. <gasps> Look at me! I know. We seem to be inside I'm old! I beg your pardon? Oh, I'm like the Crypt Keeper! Okay, that's enough. Oh my god, my wedding's tomorrow. Ah, I can't marry Ryan! Ew! Okay, 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 okay. Okay, what? I have no idea. Mom, maybe we should go to the emergency room. Oh no. All that'll get us is a 72-hour lockdown in the psych ward and a Thorazine drip. No, we're not going anywhere. Okay. Um, uh, so, so, you're in my body and I'm in your body. Why don't we, like... Yes, yes, I see what you're saying, a, a, a jolt. Okay, you go over there and I go over here. 
Okay, now when I say go, ready? Yeah. Go. I won't go. Oh! I d- I do want to say mm-hmm. I guess I guess we should tackle this because I feel like it's going to get in the way unless we talk about it. Mm. Um does it have to be a fortune cookie? Yeah, I was I was genuinely looking up I thought I assumed it, that might have been a relic from the original because it seems like something that would happen in the 70s. Uh but that I'm seeing in the original they just were like I wish I wasn't me or they, they say something and then it just happens. So like, there's no person who makes it happen. And I, we, I wrote in my notes, it reminds me of what you were talking about last week with Ron Howard, how I was like, we can't just be like the Grinch is the Grinch. And that's why he's the Grinch. We have to say, why is he the Grinch? What happened to him? And like this fortune cookie right. edition feels like these people trying to um you know modernize freaky friday and going well there's no reason why it happens we have to make a reason why it happens so i think and it may be it's just a poor relic of its time i think in terms of its its kind of casual racism um again like the i remember them being a bigger part of the film so i was actually very pleasantly surprised and happy that those characters were were smaller parts of the film than i remembered but yeah, it seems like it's just a weird of its time addition to explain the magic that like you didn't need to explain. You could just let it be the be magic. It's a movie. See, even in the original, it was a wish. Yeah, it's not like a yeah. Which is like, who cares? Does it have to be like, what is this element? Where is this element come from? And how is that acceptable? That like boggled my mind because the rest of it is so good. This is just like that fat policeman in Wonka like the rest of the movie is so like understanding and warm and in fact there are some things that feel like they're Nora Ephron touches yes the opening credits photos of mothers and daughters and the coming together at the end this element of it feels out of place especially in a film for children yeah it's definitely out of place um but again, I was like pleasantly surprised to see how little they were in the film. I I, I remembered them being in there more, um, and it just generally, really? yeah, just it generally being worse. But it, I was like, okay, they're kind of just at the beginning and the end, which I feel like is fine. But yeah, it's I don't think I'm the best person to articulate it. I'm sure there's people who've written about it much better than me. But like, yeah, it is out of place. But I'm glad it's like maybe a cumulative five minutes. That does make me feel good. Speaking of things of its time. Chad Michael Murray wearing a Von Dutch shirt. <laughs> the hair. The hair, the Von Dutch shirt. He's a teacher there? What's going on? Is he like he's a TA at a high school? I don't know what's going on. Oh, yeah. What was up with that? See, like, there's just some stuff that makes no sense. He's technically older than Lindsay Lohan. And can I say, she gets with him in the end. And he is like, I liked your mother. Not like liked, of course. And I want to say, Chad Michael Murray... Let me rewind this tape right now and show you <laughs> the film I just watched where you were following this woman across town trying to rail her. Right. And he's like, no, nah, I wasn't attracted to your mom or anything. And then, but like, sir, we have the film. And then she's just like, ha ha. Yeah. And they kiss. She, this man wants to sleep with her mother so bad. And she is still with him. What's that about? What's Chad Michael Murray's character doing? <laughs> I don't know, man. You know, there's see, but there's a lot in this movie that I feel like they just don't want to explain. Cause now what are the implications of that? Is that going to come back? Is that going to be an issue? I mean, maybe they'll have to just be like, guys, we swapped bodies. They'll just have to explain it. Cause it's also implied. It's going to happen to grandpa and kid. Right. I mean, or they, you know, she has to that was stop it. Hopefully. There was some hilarious comedy around that being stopped. <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of moments in this film where someone just side tackles somebody, like multiple shots of someone <laughs> side tackling people. Did you notice that? I didn't. There's just at least two, I just, maybe I guess three I must times. Have. Like people go, like they, it's just those comical, weird side tackles. That was a popular thing in kids' media at that it's time. It's pretty There's funny like to watch someone fall like that. <laughs> Can I also say that in the musical version that became the movie, it's an hourglass. There's a magical hourglass that they break or something. Oh, weird. Okay. Isn't that weird? 
you know, they get to cater the wedding, so it all kind of works out in the end. <laughs> oh God. Have you have you seen Parent Trap at all recently? Not recently, but I have seen it, period. I've seen it in general. Yeah. I'm wondering how that adds up. I mean, it's probably fine. Again, talk about another movie with some Efron feelings. Big Efron feelings. Also, like those special effects of the two of the of the one of them of Lindsay Lohan, like that shit got me so hard as a kid. Like I was amazed and terrified to find out that she was not twins. Right. Even the header photo on Letterboxd. I'm like, how did they take that photograph? That is a seamless Photoshop to me of two Lindsay Lohans together in a way that is like wild. She really was one of just the best kid actors. Cause she also, because she's playing two different characters in that film, accesses such an interesting range of emotions and differentiates the characters so well and she was so young doing that like she's she was such a good young actress oh my god duh efron vibes because it's nancy myers oh yeah 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 yeah. of course the director of something's gotta give it's complicated the holiday writer of father of the bride parts one and two Mm -hmm. and three and jumping jack flash a legendary future episode let me tell you penny marshall's jumping jack flash (laughs) Penny Marshall. Ooh, when we do that, it's going to be so League good. League of their own. My queen. Mark Harmon. Great in this. Mark Harmon is great. He looks an awful lot like Bruce Greenwood, which weirded me out a little bit, but I like Mark Harmon. Bruce Greenwood is a character actor who mm. appears in a lot of different things. He's kind of like the gruff, older army guy who like knew your dad. He served with your dad uh, back in the old days. And he wants to bring you in. And he was that guy in Trek 09. And he's also that in a bunch of different things. Mm. It's quite good. Looks it looks a little, little bit like Mark Harmon. <laughs> I think Mark Harmon's great here. I really was thinking. I wrote down. I, and, and our friend, our buddy Ron, put this in his review. And I fully agree with it. Maybe one of the best movie stepdads ever. He's so chill. He's so nice. He's like really supportive of her relationship with her children. He doesn't impose. He's like, he's like a really good movie stepdad i love this guy i feel like i feel like they should have just explained to him and i know that this is like you know i got some blowback last week from old boone over my our our uh what what type of who god would would allow the grinch to happen (laughs) but i feel like this is a guy where if you tell him what happened he would be like okay weird he um but he would get it he seems like a really understanding guy. Like, I think he would totally get it. It's just funny that they put themselves in this situation. <laughs> yeah. But that's the whole point of the movie is that basic communication would have solved everything. Kev, why am I just now saying that your name in this Riverside chat is Kev fully loaded? It's an homage to Herbie the love bug. Mine is Evan because that's another character in this movie that I found really, really great. Yeah, the great Willie Garson, who is wonderful on Sex and the City and whose absence, I mean, they couldn't have obviously, you know. Yeah. His absence is felt so deeply on and just like that, let me tell you, uh, the guy is missed. He's great. And he's very funny in this. He's great. Yeah, he's great in this. I wish there was some, and because we don't really know what happens to him. He just kind of goes to a session with, with Lindsay and presumably it's not good. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any other overarching thoughts or do you want to pop your cord? I have quite a lot of random popcorn. Yeah, I think we should just go to popcorn because sometimes, folks, the proof is in the pudding. And sometimes the pudding is in the popcorn. (laughs) I love that. It's terrible. Maybe the worst thing I've ever said. And I've said a lot of dumb shit on this show. (laughs) Oh, boy. Um, I do want to note that the movie's directed by Mark Waters. His next film was Mean Girls. Mm-hmm. So they are. Uh, the links that we were talking about, that all tracks. I was shocked at first to hear that this film came first because it seems so derivative of Mean Girls. Mm. But what it actually is, is the honing of that stuff, those ideas. So that's neat. Uh, you can see me coming up with the phrase face-off stuff in real time. That's fun. <laughs> Uh, a lot on the Chinese stuff. Stephen Tobolowski as Mr. Bates is hilarious. And then we learn about Mr. Bates's dark past. And it's very funny. Yes. 
I liked the writing on Anna in that scene. Uh, have we ever talked about detention on this show? Have you ever had to serve detention? Um, uh, no. I was a very well-behaved kid. Yeah, I only had one. It's because I stopped going to Long Island Ecology class once I realized I, A, didn't need it to graduate, and B, couldn't drop it. It was a bad fit. I did not deserve to be in that class. I was wasting time and space there, so I stopped going. And uh, I, it turned out that my name wasn't even on the slip for detention. They filed it wrong or whatever, or they were trying to give me a break. But it was my favorite teacher as the proctor of the detention, so we just hung out for a couple hours on the very last day of school. And that's the only detention I ever served was for that stupid bullshit. Oh, my gosh. She's going to detention multiple times a day. What kind of school is this? Yeah, I'm confused because normally for me, detention was just like an extra thing on the day. Like you had to stay like an hour late, pretty much. That's exactly right. I mean, there was also lunch suspension, but you can't tell me that she's lunch suspended and also going to regular detention. Yeah, that was, it was, I could, I was confused by the structure as well. It's just funny that all these movies give you an idea of high school, but these guys, this is like, we're talking about 30 to 50 year old, usually at this time, men. All of the music stuff I found very funny. Uh, very of the time, very kind of Avril Lavigne kind of vibe, mm-hmm. which is cool. I was into that. But there's stuff like the pump, the pop punk happy together. It was very silly. Um, I felt like they could have used some Avril Lavigne or Pink or something. But this is Disney. You know, they probably had bands to do the soundtrack for the movie, not to mention the song. Mm-hmm. The single. Um. Austin Danger podcast motif, woman shopping montage. We saw it in the Flintstones. We saw it in Pretty Woman. Yes. Here it is again. <laughs> and and we will see plenty of those. That's a trope. And we'll see that a hundred times. I just wanted to call it out. I loved the butcher at the deli counter taking Jamie Lee Curtis's words to heart and like tearing up. I love okay, that. I thought yes. that was so funny. That was in my notes as well. That reminded me of Barbie when she goes to the woman at the bus stop, you're beautiful. And she goes, don't I know it? Or something like that. Or I know it or something like that. It's great. Oh my gosh. That I wrote that in my notes as well, but I also wrote, I just not to popcorn into your popcorn, but Do it. I also wrote JLC when that woman starts crying to her. And then she, Jamie Lee Curtis puts on this very weird, but hilarious smile and goes goodbye. And it's like the way she says goodbye is so deeply hilarious. It's very good. Finally, I want to call out the crying patient, Jacqueline Hines, I believe, who is really funny in like three seconds. Uh, And two last things. I can't believe how basic Anna's taste in music is. The yeah, yeah, yeahs. Sure. That's great. Points for the the yeah, yeah, yeahs. But the like we're talking about the hives over the white stripes. And she she wants to be a female musician and doesn't know who Stevie Nicks is. That's what gets me. I'm like, Stevie Nicks is like, if you want to be like a... Anna's a bit of a poser is what we're saying. And it's okay, but yeah, it's true. She is a poser. She's a poser. Final piece of popcorn from me. This movie is the back to the future of the early 2000s. Complete with weird mm. mother-daughter sexual storyline. <laughs> yes. And some race stuff. Yes. Although... Uh, I'm not the person to dissect it. Mackenzie, please pop some corn. Well, you know, the first person I have to shout out is uh, Lou Elrod, who plays the butch detention teacher. Who's like bros with Anna. Um, I, she's, she actually passed away a few years ago. I, I looked her up um, because uh, I found out she's in the big Lebowski as well. She's the waitress at the diner in the big Lebowski. So I thought that you would enjoy that little connection. Um, oh yeah. But she was a teacher. Uh, she was a queer woman, and she passed away a few years ago. But uh, just shout out Lou Elrod. I just clocked her immediately and was like, "Love this butch detention lady." Um, I wrote between this and John Tucker must die. This was a huge time for me into regards to aggro volleyball scenes. Uh, John Tucker must die is a film I unfortunately adore, and one day we will talk about it on this show. There's a great mm-hmm. volleyball that movie. 
uh i used to genuinely think her band was so cool like again i wanted to be them and i love that they had this cool ass practice space in the garage and they were like they had this awesome song i love the song probably played underneath the synopsis uh it's a great song the don't wanna grow up it's it's so catchy i just it gets in your head it like plays well as a song outside of the film which is why i think it's a fun song um there was a part in which i'm i wrote i'm glad i don't have siblings probably the little brother being annoying uh and then this is where i started to write you know the more now that i'm older i have a lot more sympathy for uh tess i think uh because like i remember obviously being younger and identifying with the angst of anna but uh, now that i'm older i'm just like oh kiddo you don't even know what it's like to be an adult right uh being an adult fucking sucks so uh now i just identify with with tess a bit more and her feeling of just yeah being exhausted at at motherhood and life and busyness but also like really wanting to chase this happiness she's found with ryan like i think she's a really compelling character and uh i I relate to her more as an adult now as as happens i think that's why it's a great movie for both young people and adults i think everybody can kind of get something from it in a way that i think is is really successful which is obviously the, the purpose of the film Right. um so, so i love that the extended scene of them figuring it out is so great the scenes of them in the bedroom the crypt keeper yes. all these li- like them running into each other like a great just extended scene of them uh working together <laughs> i wrote do you think when they captured the crypt keeper delivery they were like wow we struck fucking gold because they did <laughs> could you imagine um, being behind the camera for that or like any any classic moment insane yes. how do you know uh i again uh, there's a line reading i love of jamie lee curtis's darling could you like chill for a sec uh whatever <laughs> she says that that's a great thing um i wrote jamie lee curtis got this haircut for this movie and never looked back it's her iconic look now i think uh loved her line reading of whoa she's blind this sucks great line delivery from jamie lee curtis I love the idea of this being like a rock competition and no one being able to see she's clearly not playing the solo that they're hearing. Like, I love the idea that not only can these pro- professional music judges not clock that, but that they wouldn't be disqualified by someone playing off stage for them. So goofy. Uh, Jamie ripping that solo, though, is really, really great. It is great. My last notes are, you know, Lindsay killing it in that scene about postponing, as I said earlier. And then I wrote, "Why am? Tell me why I'm tearing up at Jamie Lee Curtis's speech." I, I, I kind of felt really emotional. That, that emotional beat really landed for me, and it made me tear up a bit. This sort of Anna in Tess's body giving this uh, acceptance and love to her mother through that speech. It got me. I thought it was great. It, it, it hit that emotional beat kind of perfectly for me. And so, uh, yeah, I had a great time with this movie, Kev. Hell yeah. Do you want to get into final thoughts? Let's do it. Kev, what's your final thoughts or rating? Well, I still had a lot of fun. I think it's kind of irresistible. Yes. There are major things that didn't need to happen. And the demonstrated, like demonstrably didn't need to happen. I don't think those are great. But I think Jamie Lee and Lindsay are winners. And I think the movie comes to a really great point um, in the end. So I'm at like three and a half stars, which is for, for superficially what this movie seems like on the surface, a pretty big deal for me. Um, but that's because there's a lot more going on than what it seems like, which is the whole point. So mm-hmm. yeah, three and a half stars and a big old juicy heart. Juicy Friday. Yeah. I mean, I, I was thinking about this because I was also thinking that this is probably a three and a half star film, mm-hmm. but and I was like, Austin Danger podcast really is the home of the three and a half star film. And I say that it's true. Lovingly. Yeah. Like we are, I think that's our niche, but here's the thing. I think I'm actually going to give this film four stars because Damn. yeah, I don't know. I think it is a three and a half star film, but really genuinely the performances elevate it above average for me in a way that outside of the the glaring obvious issues there's nothing else i would really change like i love the hijinks they get into i love the performances i love the music uh i have a huge amount of fun with this film uh and i today am feeling like it's a four-star movie only because it just put a huge smile on my face and made me feel really really good today so yeah i think that that's like where i'm at today with it it's probably 
you know, in actuality, closer to three and a half. But those performances really, really hit for me today. So I'm going to go with four stars for Freaky Friday. Hell yeah. That's amazing. Living my truth. Living my truth. And that's really what the show is all about. There we go. Speaking of the show, you want to do our little show? Let's do our little show. I love gold. All right. At the Saturn Awards. <laughs> oh. Uh, folks, uh, for anyone who's coming in, if this is your first episode, <laughs> first of all, sorry. Hi. <laughs> This is the segment every week where we go over the awards that the film has won the gold, right? Like gold member who loves gold. Hence, I love gold. At the Saturn Awards, this movie was nominated for Best Fantasy Film. Okay. You know, it could happen. Lindsay Lohan, Jamie Lee Curtis, the writers, who I'm realizing now seemingly are both women. Whoops. Um... <laughs> so sorry about that what i said earlier uh jamie lee curtis nominated for a golden globe Lindsay lohan and uh, won the breakthrough female performance mtv movie and tv award nice at the golden schmoes ricky friday was nominated for biggest surprise of the year which by the way the one that beat it was Pirates of the Caribbean, Curse of the Black Pearl. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Is the surprise of the decade, maybe. <laughs> but that's a story for another episode. So that's I Love Gold. There's brief stuff here and there, but those are generally the, the big points, the big highlights. Praise for Lindsay and Jamie and the writers and director in mm -hmm. kind. Moving on to the Alan Parsons project. This is the ongoing project where we link the film of the week to the Austin Powers trilogy. Mitchell Lieb in the music department worked on Aladdin 2019. Oh God. Braun the countdown to Mufasa. Any <sighs> link we can get to these live action Disney films, I will take. So thank you for that. The flaming lips who hilariously appear in the background of this film a couple times, I think. Oh, wow. I didn't clock them. Oh, yeah. They're very deep in the background. Their music, you can you can hear it. This cover is iconic. <laughs> Not that. Uh, that was so bad. Oh, my God. That cover. That cover mm -hmm. that no one's ever heard. <laughs> Radio Disney cover. Wendy Altman Cohen is also in the film. Uh, she worked on the eyeglasses. Right, she gives Austin those eyeglasses. Last name I'll call out is Frank Machia, who I think is coming back. But from what episode, I do not remember. I just remember his name. We will be talking mm -hmm. about him more when we discuss The Lion King, the, <laughs> the 2019 John Favreau film. Wow. Wow, 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 That's wow. the Alan Parsons project. <laughs> so, um lovely there you are you're over there we have no use over there this week but if you would like to be over there you can uh send us a letter or voicemail at austindangerpodcast.gmail.com uh or you can tag your reviews austin danger pod austin danger podcast i've been a bit behind on that i apologize the holidays have been a little hectic but i will try to get back on checking out your reviews so we can share them a bit more on the show um but as always the best way to have your voice be heard mention something that we didn't talk about that you want to hear us talk about austin danger podcast at gmail.com Freaky Friday, uh, I don't know, uh, Spinal Tap, or what we might be watching next week in between, sandwich in between these two episodes. That's right. Spin that wheel. Mackenzie, I'm going to give you the name of a movie. Oh, we're doing, the, we're doing another game. Okay. And you're going to tell me the first thing that comes to mind. Okay. Shrek 2. Holding off for a hero, Jennifer Saunders. We'll be talking about it next week on Austin Danger Podcast. <gasps> oh, yes, yes, yes. One of the all-time greatest movies of all time. Yes, yes. I haven't seen it in almost 20 years. I have logged it a profound amount of times. I don't know what I was getting at with the game. I 
I thought, I thought that you would have understood that I was announcing Shrek 2 <laughs> in that moment. Oh my gosh. I mean, I, I like I'm going to look now. Yeah, I have this ref- I have this logged like four times on Letterboxd. <laughs> I've watched I've watched Shrek too many times since I've gotten all Letterboxd. What a time to be alive. Starting off 2024 with a bang. Episode 99 of Austin Danger podcast will be Shrek 2. This is perfect. You're not ready. I'm not ready. Austin Nation isn't ready. Is Slim ready for the collateral damage of a Shrek 2 episode (laughs) right before his appearance? I don't know. I'm not ready. Who could say? Well, you, this time, seven days from now, next week on Austin Danger Podcast, we return to 2004 with Shrek 2. But until then, from Mackenzie, this is Cam. Austin Danger Podcast, peace. If you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Austin Danger Pod. This episode was mixed and edited by me, Mackenzie. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.